the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Thursday, November 18th, 2021, 602 is the number. The Arizona Republic this morning has a piece on the Contra Todd ASU in September where two African-American female students accosted two white male students in what was being called the ACL, uh, the ASU Multicultural Center. The headline in the paper this morning, quote, students at ASU hold protest over disagreement in multicultural space, close quote. Now, if you watch the original video of what transpired in September, you'll see the two males, the two white males sitting quietly working on their computers when the two female students approached them and said they had to leave. One of the male students says, why? What did we do wrong? One of the female students says, you're offensive, not you're being offensive which would be a little better, but that they were in and of themselves offensive. One of the female students makes note that one of the male students has a Police Lives Matter sticker on his computer. Police Lives Matter. The male says, you have the same. It's just the other side on your computer. The female says, quote, you're in our space. You are making this space uncomfortable you're white, close quote. One of the males says, this is a multicultural center. And the females shout, white is not a culture. They then, with japing and sarcasm and laughter, the women, try to shame the males for saying whiteness is a culture. They then go on to say several times whiteness is not a culture. It goes on from there, as you can imagine. About as predictable as the sun rising tomorrow. The white male students, shamed and made sport of, were forced to leave. So you might think it would have been the males who were race-shamed and forced to leave a public space holding that protest yesterday. You'd be wrong. It was the female students, the ones who did the shaming and the chasing. One of them, a Ph.D. student, said, quote, I realize I no longer want to continue to build a ladder for minorities to this institution, ASU, because this institution is a violently racist and uninclusive space for minorities, close quote. She continues, quote, I cannot continue creating pathways to help black students get into ASU if ASU is going to attack, harass, and not protect or support black students, close quote. I would like evidence of violent racism at ASU, and I would like evidence of ASU attacking, harassing, and not protecting black students. Anyone has any, we'll publicize it. No students from the September incident were expelled or even suspended. The two black students were given warnings, warnings for creating a racial assault, and now they claim to be the aggrieved party. Let's break this down. First, the easy one, whiteness as a culture. White may or may not be a culture. 
But any spokesman or activist for any of the woke movements of the day who blames someone for saying whiteness is a culture has only themselves to blame, for it was they who told us this. The African-American History Museum of the Smithsonian says whiteness is a culture, at one point even identifying traits to recognize it. But to this day, on its website, it says, quote, whiteness and white racialized identity refer to the way that white people, their customs, culture and beliefs operate as the standard by which all other groups are compared, close quote. And plenty of woke Government agencies instruct that whiteness is a culture. I could give you many. I'll give you the Seattle City Government. It has a website with a five-item worksheet explaining whiteness as a culture. You want to know what it's called? Whiteness as a culture? I could go on. I myself never bought into any of this, any of it. The two groups that think of race and cultural aspects are, to me— The KKK and the neo-Marxist movements like Black Lives Matter. What culture or cultural attributes do I share with Sarah Silverman or Jerry Nadler? I can tell you right now, not a single one. Any more than I share any attributes of culture or any other kind with David Duke. What culture or cultural attributes do these two female students share with, I don't know, Candace Owens or Condoleezza Rice or Thomas Sowell? About just as many as I share with Sarah Silverman or maybe Ted Bundy. Try this on for size. Is someone from Nigeria an African-American? What do they share in common culture with other African-Americans or even just Africans? They, along with Barbadians, Ghanaians, Trinidadians, and Tobaganians, have a median household income well above the American average, as Rav Aurora points out. What culture do they share with, I don't know, Al Sharpton? whose only ability to earn a wage comes from intimidation and swindle? Or the students at ASU? Let's put it squarely. These students have more cultural commonality with Robin DeAngelo than they do with Senator Tim Scott, just as I have more cultural commonality with Alan Keyes and Larry Elder than I do with, I don't know, Bernie Sanders or Sean Penn. But if you want to blame white students for thinking there's a white culture, they only learned it from the woke teachings of the past Two years. And as you go about inventing these neologisms, not to mention neo thinking and neo sociology and neo anthropology and neo physiology, with terms that come as newspeak, landing in our moral dictionaries, going on a total of about two years, please, I beg of you, give a little space for everyone to try to just catch up. You see, when you upend hundred of years of advanced and enlightened thinking and language with the snap of a finger, you really do need to be just a little bit patient, especially when the upending is that of all we've been working very hard at from the instruction of the Supreme Court, no less federal law, no less Martin Luther King, no less Barack Obama for the past several generations. Comes the more difficult issue of the inherence within the argument that at ASU, a public university, there should be spaces white people simply cannot go to, to study, to socialize, you name it. Some of you are perhaps old enough to remember places in this country that had signs saying no blacks allowed. They didn't use the word blacks. They used other words beginning with the letter C and N, or having different restrooms or counters or water fountains for people based on their race. Remember those days? 
some of you, when that came into the full view of the rest of the country and in our courts, the horridness of it all was not only plain to see, but became the national dedication to eliminate. You may recall, this is why President Eisenhower sent in the 101st Airborne to Arkansas and federal troops into Louisiana. You may recall the March on Washington, led by Martin Luther King, pushing for what? What was the point of that march? The Civil Rights Act, the Federal Civil Rights Act, which read thus in its pertinence to education facilities, quote, no person in the United States shall on the ground of race, color, or national origin be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subject to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial existence, close quote. It is discrimination to not let some students use some college facilities because of their race, isn't it? That's what the law said. That was what Thurgood Marshall argued when it came to elementary school education in 1954, writing, quote, Distinctions by race are so evil, so arbitrary and invidious that a state bound to defend the equal protection of the laws must not invoke them in any public sphere, close quote. That was in his brief in the case of Brown versus Board of Education. And that is why a unanimous Supreme Court upheld Thurgood Marshall's argument. Just to close that circle, ASU is in the public sphere. Today, all this has changed. Only one race can be discriminated against because, as Ibrahim X. Kendi lectures, quote, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. Only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. Close quote. Get it? The only remedy for past discrimination is present discrimination. That is the new dispensation of civil rights. So, given all this, I presume the students protesting at ASU believe that there are places white students cannot and should not go. But there are no places black students cannot and should not go. In other words, this is how they answer the logical question. If the center you call X is forbidden to white students, should white students not create places Y and Z that forbid blacks? In other words, why not just turn the clock back to the 1950s or the 1850s? This isn't just newspeak, it's idiot speak. Do remember the purpose of newspeak. George Orwell tells us it is, quote, to provide a medium of expression or the worldview and mental habits proper to the devotees of English socialism, but to make all other modes of thought impossible. It was intended that when newspeak had been adopted once and for all and old speak forgotten, a heretical thought, that is, a thought diverging from the principles of socialism, should be literally unthinkable, at least so far as thought is dependent on words. Its vocabulary was so constructed as to give exact and often very subtle expression to every meaning that a party member could properly wish to express, while excluding all other meanings and also the possibility of arriving at them by indirect methods. This was done partly by the invention of new words, but chiefly by eliminating undesirable words and by stripping such words as remained of unorthodox meanings and so far as possible of all secondary meanings, whatever. To give a simple example, 
The word free still existed in Newspeak, but it can only be used in such statements as this dog is free of lice or this field is free from weeds. It could not be used in its old sense of politically free or intellectually free since political and intellectual freedom no longer even existed as concepts as concepts, and were therefore of necessity nameless. You think intellectual freedom and political freedom exist at ASU? Just as Confucius warned, when words lose their meaning, people lose their liberty. Invoking Confucius, I hope, counts as multiculturalism, by the way. But those in the capital P party do not care about political freedom or intellectual freedom. They care about freedom for one race and not for another. Freedom from one point of view and not another, which isn't freedom. You and I are old enough to know that's not freedom. Just as you and I are smart enough to know that what these poorly educated students think is not intellectual or freedom. What they think is retrograde. It's not progressive. It's regressive. And it just takes the words and views of embarrassments of history like Roger B. Taney's and Jefferson Davis's and George Wallace's and Orville Faubus's and Bull Connor's and claims their moral superiority just simply flipping the races around. Not so that we get to a point of no racism, as the NBA preached on its courts last year, but so they w- that we get to a place of present and future discrimination, as Professor Kendi instructs. If colleges and universities are okay with this, they should be defunded immediately. If they are not, then students who say and act on these things should be expelled immediately. We are not here to endow a race war. We've had enough of those, quite enough. If we say we have zero tolerance for racism or that it is against the law in our educational institutions, I'd send the Department of Justice to Arizona to investigate violations of the Civil Rights Act at ASU. At least the FBI and the Department of Justice would be consumed with the enforcement of a federal law when it comes to investigating incidents around education, as opposed to what they're doing with school boards. At least while words still mean things, because an awful lot of us want them to and thought we had the right words to end this nonsense, that race determines thought, culture, or anything else of value or price, because an awful lot of us thought that nonsense ended as a national political ethos in the trials at Nuremberg. But you know, you give the uneducated and the misled a microphone and an academic appointment, and you realize, hopefully not too late, that little children should not be given dangerous toys. And boy, are there a lot of children in our universities starting here in Arizona. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. We're going to talk a lot about education today. Uh, I should say welcome back. We're going to talk a lot about education today. By the way, the number, if you want to join, 602-508-0960. We'll dig into some things going on not only in the Scottsdale Unified School District, but now in the PV one as well, Paradise Valley one as well. And uh, Sharice Peer will be with us uh, to talk about all of that at the top of the next hour. While I'm staying on education for a moment, let's talk about 
something you're going to have to also prepare for. You've heard of the 1619 History Project. Well, it has a book coming out. It has a book coming out and whose main author is Nicole Hanna-Jones, as she was the project manager of the 1619 Project. The book has made no corrections to the manifest number of historical errors, a manifest number of liberal American historians have tried to point out. I would even say liberal left, liberal left American history professors have tried to point out from some of the top schools in our country. Let me start with this as this book comes out and as schools are adopting the 1619 Project for their curricula. Let me just, courtesy of the Federalist, give you the six biggest errors that Nicole Hannah-Jones' 1619 Project, Rewriting of History, provides. One, that slavery was somehow new to America in 1619. Two, that the American Revolution was fought to preserve slavery from the threat of emancipation. Three, that Abraham Lincoln was racist. Four, that blacks fought back alone to secure their rights. Five, that plantation slavery was the foundation of capitalism. And six, that the nation's entire entire history is best seen as a struggle by blacks against white supremacy. There's your class struggle. Neo, there's your neo-Marxist class struggle updated to give you a race struggle, just as the Third Reich did. Now, you see the effects of this, not just inside our nation's classrooms. You see them inside our city halls, our state governments, and even, yes, our federal governments. You see them in the renamings of buildings, in the removing of statues. How did, um, how did, uh, how did, how did uh, George Orwell put it? All history is palimpsest, he said. All history is palimpsest. You know what you know what palimpsest is? He said all history is palimpsest, scraped clean and rescribed as often as possible. Palimpsest is a piece of paper that is erased and rewritten on. That's what a palimpsest is. So they've taken the old history, or at least the history until yesterday, and turned it into something that has been, as Orwell said, scraped clean and reinscribed as often as necessary. And truth has nothing to do with it, just as fact has nothing to do with it. My truth may have something to do with it, and my facts may have something to do with it. But when you say my truth or my facts, do please understand one thing, even if you are a devotee of that phrase, even if you like to use that phrase, even if you like Kamala Harris— if you are prone to saying my truth, please understand that your use of the personal pronoun my indicates there is another truth, doesn't it? At bare minimum, it must. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Thank you, JB. That was kind of you. 
<laughs> you uh, uh, got an uh, email from a listener saying, I can't believe I'm speechless <laughs> over your monologue. <laughs> okay. Very nice of you to say that. I, I, I take that as a compliment. I appreciate it. I get very angry about these things, these race wars that are being foisted on us. We don't want them. We don't need them. Who was making this point the other day I heard, and it's eminently true. We seem to have forgotten this. It's eminently true that this had been going on for some time. Revisionism, progressivism, Marxism, racialism in our schools. But all of it picked up tremendous speed and moved outside of the academy into far more many public institutions and private institutions outside of the academy after the uh, after the uh, death of George Floyd. And I guess, it, yeah, Adam Kroll is making this point. He says, and if you can recall, back to that moment, there was a universal revulsion as to what happened there. A universal revulsion. And we were all very well prepared to start rethinking some of those practices and some of those methods of, uh, of police work. We were all willing to have that conversation. And then it was stopped dead in its tracks. Why? Why was it stopped dead in its tracks? Because we weren't serious? Or because a violent Marxist movement took over our country? That's what stopped it. That's what stopped it. If you want to stop progress, if you want to stop progress, go to Marx. If you want to stop progress, go to Marx. Now, that, that thank you. So thank you uh, for that email. Um, there was a column in the L.A. Times yesterday that's on point to some of this, written by Nick Greenberg, Nicholas Greenberg over at the L.A. Times, Statues of Jefferson are coming down in the U.S. Statues of Stalin are going up in Russia. <laughs> Statues of Marx are going up here. He goes into this. His essay is about, his op-ed is about history wars, teaching history wars. And yes, that's always been with us. Of course, of course, of course. There are always, there have always been ways to look at history, but in those ways and in those debates, even in those revisions and in those updates, history professors were relying on newly discovered facts, not newly discovered fictions or newly discovered truths, newly discovered facts, things that more and more research found, not things that more and more research couldn't find but sounded good. Not things that more and more research wished, but things research could establish. So Nick Greenberg in his column at the L.A. Times, and excuse me, Nick Goldberg in his column in the New York, in the L.A. Times, was talking about how there's removals of Jefferson at the City Hall in New York and the name changes of Jefferson schools, et cetera, et cetera. And then he writes, quote, Donald Trump also was a deft manipulator of historical narratives. As president, he began an overwrought campaign against the New York Times 1619 project and established his own 1776 commission to encourage 
history of our magnificent country. Goldberg writes, that wasn't a serious proposal. It was politics and marketing that played conveniently into his Make America Great Again propaganda, rallying up disaffected voters. Not one of those sentences is true. Not a one. Not a one of those sentences is true. I will tell you right now that I believe Joe Biden has made up more history than Donald Trump. Think about the Edison, Thomas Edison and the light bulb. I believe Joe Biden has invented more history than Donald Trump. But let's get to this issue of the 1776 Commission versus the 1619 Project, shall we, when we come back? And was it a serious proposal or was it something used to rile up disaffected voters? By the way, raise your hand if you know of a disaffected voter that read the 1776 Commission report and got riled up. They just invent things and say things. It's not true. Also not a fact. But I'll have some more to say about that in a moment. 602-5080-960. Be right back. So first of all, let's add that to the bumper. Second of all, this raises two issues, this song. Uh, It raises two issues. One is, when do we start with our Christmas music? And I think the right answer is after Thanksgiving. But the second issue it raises is, Liebson, why are you playing the Trans-Siberian Orchestra? Well, because they're coming here December 5th and... Through the graciousness of, uh, of someone, we have some tickets to give away. So if you're the next caller at 602-508-0960, we will give you two free tickets to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra here in Phoenix on December 5th. Check your schedules to make sure that works December 5th. But we have two tickets for you. And we'll be giving away a few more over the next few days. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> People know how to use their fingers to do the walking, don't they? <laughs> All right. Uh, I wanted to say something more about 1776 versus 1619 uh, and this, this column by Nick Goldberg. Um, before I do, let me, uh, let me go to Dave and surprise. Uh, Dave uh, wanted to weigh in on something related, including our event Tuesday night where I got to see him. Hi, Dave. Are you there, Dave? Yeah, hi. Yeah, can, can you hear me, sir? Sorry I got you that. now. It, yes, sir. Loud and clear. Yeah, I, and and I messed up. I called in 30 seconds too early because I would have loved Mr. Ryan to share the TSO. Well, stand by. You know, we'll, we'll have uh, – yeah. actually, we'll, we'll figure something out. You, you, we'll be of giving course. out more. Yeah, I, I apologize. I wasn't able to, to, to listen in yesterday. I hope that you were – not as humble as you usually are and spoke about what a masterful job you, <laughs> you did at MC and 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 highlighted the presentation on Tuesday. It was Thanks. I thought it was an amazing program. Ms. Leslie thought it was an amazing program. We had a great time. Um not only mingling with the, the other attendees, um and, and certainly the speakers uh, but it, it was just a magnificent evening, and, and I'm not sure if you got a chance to review You're that kind to say so. Evening. I talked a little bit about it. You're very kind to say so, Dave. And, and Dave is talking about uh, the event we did with Prager, Elder, and Kirk on uh, Tuesday night. 
that uh, you were there for, Dave, and it was good to see you and meet you and, and uh, Leslie. But um, we did talk a little bit about uh, I, there are so many values to those kinds of things, but isn't it nice to be in a f- room full of people whose cultural uh, interests and intellectual uh, intellectual preferences are, are similar to your own? I mean, it's, it's not easy uh, to be a conservative in this world. It feels a little better when you can be in a room full of them. Absolutely. It almost, it felt like, a, I'm, I'm probably your same age stratification, it felt like I was time warped back to the 80s yeah. and in the time of Ronaldus Maximus. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah that, that's right. That, that is a good way to think of it. Except the difference, I, you tell me if you agree or not, the difference between, oh, I don't know, take a year 84, I guess, maybe, uh, high point of the Reagan administration, there's many, but 84 would certainly be one, I think. It, the difference is then... It was common, right? That was just kind of the coin of the realm. That was the culture. That was the air we breathed. Today it feels – doesn't it feel just a little bit subversive? It feels like it's become very uncommon. I I think so, but I think that's a product of us. Okay. Um, This goes back to 2019. We talked about it. Yeah. I think it's 12% of the country that's defining the narrative. Okay. It's the far, far left. It's not even the entire Democrat Party. But I think it's one out of eight people in Congress that scream the loudest, that get the most press, that drive the narrative for the Democrats. And they're all hungry for power. And it is what it is. But they wrap it in a nice altruistic package. We don't do that. Republicans are horrible retail politics. Just the fact of the matter. They tug on people's heartstrings. And, and people follow those leftists, those progressives. Over the cliff, they don't care because I think they're just drunk on power, and and it is what it is. It, and, and you're right. Back in the mid '80s, it was a it's a right conservative country. I think it still is, but we've just we cower, we cower into the shadows, so nobody calls us out for being the people that we should be proud to be. In my humble opinion, can I agree in part and dissent in part and see what you think? I of agree. Course, I part, love the discussion. I agree with you uh, about much of what you said. I don't know that it's eight percent, though. I, I I'll tell you why. May, it might it might be a lot lower than a lot smaller of a number than most of us may say. But when you add those members of Congress to their communications departments, i.e., the media, i.e., corporate America, i.e., the universities, i.e our K-12 system of education, I think it's I think it's a lot larger, actually, than most people think. Do you could disagree with 30%? that? 30 percent? I don't know. I don't know. It's an awful lot, I, I it's an awful think the lot, dog's though. being led by the nose. Okay. That could Sorry. be. I spoke over you. No, no, no. Not at all. I, I'm just, you know, it's fine. I, we don't see each other on radio. It's fine. I, I just, it, it is amazing to me that, in those halcyon days of the Reagan years, there was one member of Congress who was a socialist. Today there are Mr. Sanders. Six. Yeah, today there are six. And while it's true that you know social media wasn't around back then to amplify the voices of the minority, let us say, if it is a minority, while it while that's true, um, it's it's also true that. NBC, ABC, CBS, and PBS have changed since then as well. They've become not – they went from liberal to left, don't you think? 
I agree. They're they're much more advocates yeah. than yeah. an impartial press. Yeah, it's just what it is. Yeah, and and I don't mind. I, I mean, I don't want to make a a thing over you know who's right or wrong, how big or how small, but I do want us to make sure as we go into political battle that we realize we have, as you say, a lot of work to do, even on our own team even on our own team, and that we can't assume victory because, oh, they're just 8 or 10 or 18 or 25 percent, right? I th- I just think it's bigger than that. I just do. I, I agree with you, and, and we spoke about this in October and November because I was canvassing the state and right. doing rallies, and I thought right. it was 30 to 1 in support of Trump. Yeah. And I said, we have to pretend that we're down by 12 points, mm-hmm. not that we're up by 2. Mm-hmm. I don't think we did an effective job of that from the National Republican Party level. Right. And I, I get scared, these people that talk about, we'll pick up 100 seats between the, the Senate and the Congress in the midterms. Number one, I don't know that the Republic will last until January of 2023 when they're sworn in. But number two, we'll figure out a way to lose half of those per- perspective gains. Well, we could. Yeah, we could. That, 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 that's an interesting point, because I'm always worried about Republicans running for office who um, Republicans running for office who, you know, talk a good game, but either don't have the background or the history to um, to effectuate the game they talked and have rather a much greater potential to be co-opted by Democrats or liberal thinking once they become part of the institution. It's let's shall we say the minority of Republicans or of the ilk of someone like Jim Jordan or David Schweiker, right? That is the minority of our party, always has been. It's bigger than it used to be, but it's still, I think, the minority in our party. That is a problem we have to overcome. I have to take a break. We'll be right back. Thank, thank you for that call, Dave. I just wanted to um, I just wanted to finish this comment about this Nick Goldberg piece in the L.A. Times, where he says the 1776 commission put out by the Trump administration was no better than the 1619 project. In fact, it was quote to encourage patriotic history that wasn't a serious proposal. It was politics and marketing that played conveniently into the "Make America Great Again" propaganda, riling up disaffected voters. I don't know how it could have riled up disaffected reporters, uh, uh, voters, since it came out after the election, and uh, since it was removed immediately, uh, like this was 1984, by Joe Biden. Uh, so you know his chronology is off. I'm sorry about his truth being false, but it's false. It couldn't have riled up disaffected voters. Uh, The vote had already been counted by the time it came out. That having been said, it wasn't a serious proposal, and it was Make America Great Again propaganda. Uh, You can still get the 1776 Commission final report. You can't get it at the White House because, as I said, Uh, The Biden administration, as one of their first tasks on their first days, took it down. First time I know in history, by the way, of one administration taking down a report from another administration from the government websites. I I can't think of another example of that. I really can't. Usually government reports become permanent government reports. That having been said, I do urge you 
to look at the 1776 Commission report because I guess once it's not a what's once it's made harder to 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 access to access to access, it's easier to lie about as Nick Goldberg is. Maybe he never read it, but if you read it, it's pretty short. It's pretty short. It's under 40 pages, and in that under 40 pages. Slavery is mentioned 38 times. Why do I mention that? Is it apologizing for slavery? Hell no. Is it justifying it? Hell no. It's teaching about it. And why, why, why do I mention that? I mention that because there is this other myth, also known as my truth, floating around, that says we who oppose critical race theory and things like the 1619 Project want to whitewash history. Remember the parent who Lori Roberts quoted in the Scottsdale Unified School District talking about us? They prefer their history whitewashed and their kids and gender assigned at birth bathrooms, this parent said. We don't prefer our history whitewashed. She's wrong about that. We are opposed to your whitewashing of American history. You find me a history textbook anytime printed since World War II that doesn't mention slavery a lot, a lot. The one thing she is right about is we do want our kids in gender assigned at birth bathrooms. These are public schools. They are public bathrooms. And what the hell is a 10-year-old kid being doing, engaging in transgenderism in the first place? That's a you problem, not a public problem. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 